This is the CQ University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Welcome to On the Grapevine, a CQ Uni podcast. Uh, I'm Greg Chapman, and I'm here with Gary Balderson, a um, metal fabrication teacher in our uh, vocational education and training sector. Uh, welcome, Gary. Um, hey, thanks for having me, Greg. No I appreciate worries. this invitation. Well, we'll get stuck in. Tell us a bit about um, what family life was like for, for Gary, for Gary Balderson. Oh, Gary Balderson. Um, born in Rockhampton. Uh, middle child, so you know how everyone talks, the middle child gets forgotten. So I, I guess, yeah, get forgotten until you do some stuff that you shouldn't do, I suppose. Then you get re- remembered and brought back to life. And how many, how many siblings? Um, two. I've got a brother, older brother, younger sister. And, and what do they do? Um, one's a... Uh, um, Works in the construction industry, um, you know, various projects around Queensland, etc. Um, a sister of um, her and her husband uh, run a tyre company in Rockhampton. Okay. So there's a bit of a, a, a trade sort of um, vibe there with, with your family. Uh, did you always want to pursue a career as a metal fabrication teacher? Um, look, to be perfectly honest, I think like every young person growing up, you see the fire truck and the police car go by. Or the, Back in my day, it was the police guy doing the beat, walking the street. So uh, you looked at this guy that was about eight foot tall and you thought, uh, gee, I wouldn't mind being one of those guys. Um, And a fire officer uh, lived down at the corner. So uh, when we'd be young people or young kids and uh, his son and myself, we we lit the back uh, back paddock up a couple of times. So uh, his father had to uh, come and put it out. Uh, we didn't get too much punishment for that, but we certainly got chased around the yard a couple of times. Okay, so did you want to be a, a, a fireman or a firebug? Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I think the uh, no, I better not say the latter. Uh, I, I honestly believe. Um, look, if any anywhere, I think the uh, police officer could have been a go there at one stage. Um, so how did the you know, taking up a trade and, and becoming a metal fabrication teacher come about? Um, a young fellow up the, up the street, he was a, a young tradesman. Well, he had the only welder in the area. And we used to sit and watch and be fascinated by this guy could join steel together. Okay. And, um, and not everybody had a welder. So, obviously, if you had a repair on your push bike, well, you took it up to uh, uh, this chap and he'd fix it up. And, and it's, some of the time, obviously, there was no charge, so that was even better. Um, and away you'd go on your push bike. And I thought, oh, that wouldn't be too bad. And um, given my brother was a carpenter, well, uh, you know, my dad said you can't have two carpenters in the family, so I had to. I decided to go uh, in the metal trade after that. Okay. And um, so, did you go to TAFE? Certainly did. Um, that, was that here? Yeah, uh, TAFE Rockhampton, Bolsover Street. Um, as a an apprentice, obviously, uh, I served my apprenticeship out at Parkhurst at a firm called CQ Fabrications. So I can tell stories there because they're, they're no longer in existence. Uh, they closed uh, a number of years ago. Um, but I was certainly fortunate enough to go back to see the management of CQ uh, fabrications when I came back to Rockhampton as a trade teacher uh, many years later. And obviously, after I finished my apprenticeship, I, you'd still kept in contact with all of the, the people that you work with uh, at CQ Fabs. So that they knew what I was doing, where I was travelling, you know, in different locations, in different workplaces. And hence, when I returned, I... I was privileged enough to be able to go back and, and meet them and say, hey, I'm looking after your apprentices now at the TAFE facility on one of their trade teachers. So the link was there, so well and truly established over many years. So that was great for me and I, I believe great for them and their apprentices. 
Okay, so a lot of um, apprentices end up just working in the trade. How did the, the te- why did you decide you wanted to be a teacher? Okay, um, I guess after fin- completing my apprenticeship, I certainly, uh, the, lifelong, the lifelong learning bug was struck in a sense I, I got married and then uh, my wife and I ended up enrolling into a, uh, a nighttime cl- uh, course at uh, Boltsaver Street to do wood carving. So we're doing the wood carving bit, so a little bit extra to the um, the trade. And then I was, you know, just sort of literally uh, looking around the place at things to do. Um, moved to Brisbane, and that that was, uh, I think it was uh, an eye opener in the trade because in Rockhampton um, specifications and tolerances were a little bit wider than specification and tolerances working for firms in Brisbane. The accuracy had to be there, a bit more pressure put on. Um, and I, I believe that, that having that experience and then working for uh, a small firm um, and then uh, travelling around um, you know, Queensland, New South Wales, um, Northern Territory with that firm doing site work and th- that was the real, th- that opened my eyes up I, I guess. Uh, workshop work and then you have site work and I w- went into um, construction industry, um, bridge, men- uh, bridge construction uh, I certainly enjoyed the bridge construction aspect and then the structural steel work, uh, the big buildings, seeing the stuff being built, um, going out on site early in the morning, looking at 150-tonne uh, um, cranes lifting up loads and thinking that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, when they built the um, entertainment centre at Boondall in Brisbane, um, lucky enough to be on that site when they were lifting up the uh, big ma- massive roof trusses and uh, they were unbelievable. You know, two 150-tonne cranes, 5.30 in the morning, very little wind about, uh, lifting the piece up into uh, location and then uh, winching it out into uh, onto the columns and then fastening it to the columns because they didn't have a crane large enough to actually be able to pick the truss up and place it where it was meant to go. So they had to place it at one end of the building and then slide it along on uh, casters uh, to the location where it was required. Okay. So that was a real real good, good bit of work there. Mm. And, and what do you personally get out of teaching? I mean, you've probably <laughs> taught hundreds of apprentices over the years. Well, yeah. What do you get out of it? All right. A um, couple of slang bits, I suppose. The, the bit of the buzz for me is to certainly see the uh, the apprentice that you've had contact with over the first, second and third year. Uh, you might see him at the shopping centre a couple of years later, um, start to have a chat, um, find out uh, where they are, what they're doing. Um, the, real, the real high point, I guess, is to see the apprentices that you've trained now running businesses in Rockhampton um, and certainly successful businesses, large businesses, um, you know, dealing with the mining sector, etc. And they haven't changed. They're still that same young guy that you, you, know, you trained many years ago when you have your chat. And they'll talk about reminisce of what happened in the workshop with Billy Bloggs when he didn't do a real good weld or make a good fabrication piece. And then the other, I guess the other part of that is um, when... And this, is, and this was a real eye-opener because it happened to me um, when I was an apprentice, the trade teacher I had, when he retired, I actually replaced him in Rockhampton. And in my journey, I was Brisbane, a Mount Cravat uh, teacher trained, transferred or transfer system in Tate, Queensland then, transferred to Emerald. Um, there was whole changes occurring in the government at that time, read the transfer system. Um, then I was fortunate enough to be able to transfer back to Rockhampton. I, I replaced 
my trade teacher who was retiring and then working at Rockhampton for a number of years, two of my students that I've had over the time, uh, one in metal fabrication has become a, a trade, you know, trade trainer for, for VET, worked in Emerald, worked in Rockhampton and now works in, in Gladstone. Right. And then that's Damien Smith. So oh. I, I had Damien, you know, Damien was an apprentice. Um, I won't mention the firm he worked for, but he was an apprentice, came through the system and then uh, back a, as a uh, trainer for VET, which is terrific. Um, another member of staff, uh, Chris Vorshack, um, similar sort of deal. He did a pre-vocational course many years ago, so the pre-voc course. Uh, young school leaver, not sure what trade they want to do because there's multiple out there. Um, they used to go around and do a round robin, seven weeks at each each section, so you know, electrical, metal fab fitting, da da da, carpentry, the whole bit, plumbing. Then they'd select what they thought was the trade calling for them. They'd pursue it. Well, Chris went down uh, that track doing the round robin, and then he pursued diesel fitting as his trade. And I didn't see Chris until a couple of years ago when he uh, came back to uh, um, CQU as a trainer in uh, diesel fitting. So mm. that, that's a bit of a buzz mm. for me. And now, believe it or not, and you said about the ageing bit, and I, this gives it away a bit, I suppose, I'm now teaching sons of young guys that I taught. <laughs> and I haven't got to the grandkids yet, but that, that may happen. <laughs> but the, um, to see the son um, come in and you look at the role and you look through the names and you think, oh, hang on, I wonder if... And then when you call the role out, you look at the face and think, yeah, that's a dead ringer for Dad. And then in a break, you're one-on-one with the young guy and you'll say, hey, is your dad such and such? And then, yeah, yeah. I said, I'll say hello to Dad for us. He'll remember me because I certainly remember him. (laughs) And it was not for the fact that, you know, the the old adage of you remember the really good student and you remember the really, the student that was very disruptive. Uh, I, I try to remember... Um, all of my students, and it's, it's hard to, as you teach the length of time you teach, you get a, a fair volume of students out there, but uh, it's a good feeling when you you know that whilst you're their teacher, you learn from them as much as they learn from you. Okay, and I believe that myself as a teacher, given that title, and it's a privilege, I will... Um, learn from them until the last day that I teach or the last hour that I'm teaching uh, because it's a two-way street. Mm. You've got to engage with them. You've got to turn them on as much as they've got to turn you on uh, to have everything happening. Yeah. Okay. And now, Gary, tell me about this um, hobby you have in car restoration. I believe that started in TAFE as well. Um, yeah, that's... Um, um, it was about 19, 1992... Yeah, Two chaps came up to the TAFE facility to make inquiries about um, two welding units of competency that they had to do to enable them to professionally um, manufacture uh, chassis and build hot rods um, to comply with Australian uh, uh, road rules. Um, two of the guys came in, um, hadn't been in the education system for a number of years. Um, certainly uh, they were eased in. Um, successful in the work and then during that program that those guys were in they then brought the photos in um, the before I, I guess they should have, it was the after really and then they showed me the before and they didn't tell me about the years in the middle um, <laughs> and uh, and the dollars that go with it <laughs> and the time I yeah. suppose as well 
but in, in saying that, look, um, to come, uh, come in contact with those guys, and that, that goes back to what I said earlier about you learn from your students as much as they learn from you. Um, uh, Warren Burgraff, at his workshop, uh, I went over there and um, he said, you do it this way, gave me the recipe, right, and then started to give me some ingredients and then uh, provided skills that I didn't have. Showed, you know, he certainly went out of his way to show me how to do the sheet metal, the panel beating work, the older stuff, the newer stuff, uh, the different resins, fiberglass. There was a whole mm. host of stuff. So you've built a car, though, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You um, tell us a bit about your car. Um, well, my car's, uh, Warren calls it a Heinz variety, okay, <laughs> because it's not sort of just one and it's not an, another. Um, <laughs> the, the, my car is a roadster. So that it's a two-door, open-top uh, roadster. Um, it's it's built on the lines of a 1930 uh, Buick, um, but in saying that, it has um, for the car nuts out there, it's got uh, Chev chassis wheels, a uh, chassis rail, sorry, and then um, from there, um, the Heinz bit that Warren refers to, the front end of the car is a HG Holden, the brake. Um, Rotors are off a Leyland P76. The calipers are from a HZ um, Holden. <laughs> um, the rack and pinion steering's from a VC Commodore. The steering knuckles are from a Tirana, about a six, about early 70s Tirana. So how did you you source all these things? And uh, the wreckers were a wonderful place. Okay. Okay. The the wreckers, both um, Grace Meir and Dick McNevins. When Dick McNevin was in uh, business, I spent. Uh, one Christmas, just before Christmas, I spent eight hours one day in the back of the work, back of his yard, next to a tin fence, sitting inside a um, a Datsun one two one, pulling the steering column out of it and all of the wiring that I was told I needed. So, and it was summer time. I mean, it was hot. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, when I had to go up and pay for it, pay for all the bits, and I, I thought, gee whiz, my hourly rate's not real flash, but you know, and to buy the bits, and it was. Uh, um, yeah, it was a challenging day to say the least. How's that sound? Yeah. But a rewarding day at the same yeah. time. And ha- how long did it take you to complete the car? Um, yeah, um, I didn't think you were going to ask that question. Um, <laughs> um, look, really, it, it was about seven. It was about seven years, and that that was the weekends and the night time. But you, you know, uh, the project, you know, the project builders and um, you know the Gantt charts, all of those things. You have your little timeline up in the shed, the calendar, and you start marking off things that you're going to do. And obviously, other stuff gets in your way, and you push it away, push it aside a bit. But um, one thing: if you're building them, you've got to be dedicated, um, and you've got to have that uh, plan. And obviously, uh, when uh, your chief financier happens to be your wife, obviously you've got to have the uh, the schedule of where you're spending your money and how you're spending it, and what on, and uh, and what's the result going to be at the end of the day. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. Was what what did you wife think of? You know, all this time and money you were spending on a um, restoring a car. Well, my wife, Mary, was pretty good, actually, because um, I, first up, obviously, you had to put your financial plan together mm. and go to the Board of, board of Control to get the approval. <laughs> so that, that's, we all have to do that. Um, and that was, once that was approved, so then you had um, your, um, you know, your timeline set up of um, the actual intervals of uh, you know, when the chassis, chassis was going to be completed by when it gets inspected... Uh, when you put your body on it, when you wire it up, when you put the motor in, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there's definite timelines that you follow. And you, you realistically, you can have, uh, you can keep it well and truly to budget if you wanted to. If you, if you want all the bling, 
have deep pockets because mm. it, it just gets away. Yeah. Um, classic Spider Coast last week, there was a car down there that a chap had spent in excess of $150,000. Wow. You know, and that's a lot of money. Mm. But, yeah, it's good fun. Okay. Um, now, also you recently did a, a study into power tool safety, which got a, a fair bit of um, recognition. Tell us a bit about why you decided to take up that. Okay. Um, and again, this is sort of a little bit of history, um, tape history. Um, we had a downturn about 93, 94, and um, the then um, campus um, director um, said, was I interested in uh, pursuing safety? And, um, and I've always, always had an interest in safety because I, I believe that um, people should enter a trade, leave a trade, and should go away. And the only thing that should change is maybe their hair, either graying or lack of, <laughs> and glasses. There might be some glasses because of the, the, the dark workshops that people work in. And when legislation has changed over the years, there have been significant improvements. In saying that, however, when I looked at that research, I was looking at people go to industry and are bound up with legislation for their safety, which is good and have to wear the PPE when they're at work. When they're doing the activity at home, safety gets thrown out the window and they just go for it. Um, usually things like um, very little PPE, not wearing any instruction, not carrying out a risk assessment, and could have, um, um, not that the survey results indicated because I didn't ask the question, but um, there's some people at home in their leisure activities actually have alcohol uh, while they're doing stuff with their mates and uh, and it's a recipe for sort of disaster. We all age, we all think we're still invincible, we still do things that we've never carried out the risk assessment and just looked at the site before we start. The ones that I've uh, certainly through the research and, and identified um, the presentations to hospitals and what doctors were saying, that how people were presenting uh, and then asking what they were doing to do it um, one example was a guy was trimming a hedge uh, with his push mower. He thought he'd do it quicker and picked the mower up and then started to trim the hedge. Oh, my God. Well, that example, and you think, gee whiz, and he had two pres uh, presentations the same afternoon of the same performance. Well, in a safety class that I was running back in uh, the late, late 90s, um, the gardener over at Great Capital Island gave a young guy, an 18-year-old, an instruction on doing some mowing around the pool, and the pool was tiered. And he said, I thought, well, everyone is familiar with a mower. He said, so I didn't give him all of the instructions, like when you've got the mower starting and running, don't pick it up to go to the next level of the bank. He said, and this guy in front of all the guests that are in the pools got the mower, mowed the first level, and then picked the mower up uh. to go to the next level. So it was millimetres from cutting his fingers off. And it was just extremely lucky the type of mower that he picked up had more guard at the front of it to where, before you get to the the blades like the old victors that came out the, they were called many years ago nicknamed the toe cutter because people <laughs> yeah. had put longer blades on them and yeah. because they wanted to have a bigger cut of grass and get the job done faster mm. and all of that i think in our leisure people get out there they don't plan they want to do it they want to finish the job before they start the job they don't do the risk assessment and come undone so i think you also tried to progress this a bit further by 
you know, yeah. meeting with some local members to try and see if legislation could be brought in to... Yeah, um, at the, and then I, I must admit I, I had spoken to you, Greg, earlier about um, meeting a local member and, and getting some legislation for the... Um, the leisure activity, oh, sorry, the you know the more the hobbyist type thing, um, didn't seem to get much response. But I, I was going down the innovation sort of uh, trail now to uh, do some more um, um, small videos of using hand, you know, handheld power tools. Um, and the concern that I have with the handheld power tools is that friends of mine that restore stuff and do hobbies with motorbikes and that's another side issue that I've got as well um, all these old motorbikes but um, the tools you can have a tool that's really safe and then you can turn a tool into a very dangerous piece of equipment just by t removing a guard and the, the guards um, may be a design feature that the guard should be a permanent fixture rather than a removable one yeah. on particularly grinders there's, there's more incidents with grinders of hitting people and all the rest of it, and it's usually they don't have the guards so on. Mm. Um, but not so, and that's the only time, but there, there's whole issues there. They remove the handle and try to hold the grinder with one hand, and they've got something spinning at 5,000 revs. Mm. Well, a car on the highway doesn't do five, you know, it, it does about 3,000 3, revs, so at 100 kilometres an hour. So you can imagine a 5,000 revs, so they can, when that kicks back, and they don't use the handle, which is removable, because they're catering for left and right-handed persons. That's why the removable handle, yep. but it causes grief the other way. Um, and now it's to pursue doing the videos of sort of uh, follow the manufacturer's instruction. This is how to, uh, and then see um, you know do some stuff with that on um, possibly YouTube stuff, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And finally, Gary. Um a lot of young people out there right now probably thinking about taking up a trade in maybe metal fabrication or construction but maybe not really sure because of the I guess the current state of uh, employment all that sort of thing what, what would you say to them to to motivate them if it was something they really were passionate about look uh, to be honest we've got a the vet in schools program for the year 11 12 student um, our numbers in that certainly have fluctuated over you know the the downturn in the coal industry um but not not, not just saying the down there's a flow-on effect you know you think the coal it, it um starts to reduce its business well then the companies that support the coal industry they start to reduce their business and around rockhampton the major firms as in you know the hastings hastings and deerings their intake drops off you know smw's intake drops off um MEM, um, mining equipment maintenance, they, they drop off. You know, the whole town starts to drop off in what they're doing. And, and the, currently the apprenticeships aren't there, but in saying that, you know, it seems to be really hard to get an apprenticeship. And that, that, that's concerning for a young school leaver. Mm. Um, but the, um, you know, we've, we still offer um, uh, programs um, in our facility today to cater for the person that's left school come in a pre-apprenticeship program uh, they can do that program over a 10-month period they have work placement uh, in that period so they or work experience work placement so the employer can see them see their skills and a majority of students that do that program get picked up when they're in that work placement 
and the employer spots the young person and realistically trades today it's not you know the blokey thing you know male females can do trades it, that that all, all that that old stuff that was there that's all gone you know it's it's open to all and um, we've had some real success stories there was a young lady that came uh, to an open day here one august her and her mother uh, walking through looking at all courses on offer and uh, this was after we merged and uh, we were I was here and others and um, this young lady and her mum came over and asked, uh, made an inquiry about um, courses for the daughter and uh, I asked, well what hobbies have you got? It always starts with a hobby. So I went from the hobby and um, um, this young girl was um, and her father do um, race cars around forests, that sort of stuff and um, and then I said, oh well you obviously got to straighten the cars out so it's all steel. Um, maybe a sheet metal trade might be something that you might uh, want to look at. And then I mentioned a couple of names of people that I know in sheet metal firms um, or owners of. And um, and then this young lady said, oh, I think I've heard that name through Dad. And then um, I suppose, the, you know, the old story, you know, a little bit of history. Um, now now uh, Megan's into her, uh, you know, third year of apprenticeship uh, going well. Um, and as a sheet metal apprentice, um, thoroughly enjoyed it, enjoying it at a local firm and um, yeah um, you know wonderful to uh, see that just from an open day you know open day event you might only get you mightn't get many at open days but hey it's good when you get a successful uh, successful outcome like that um, which is great all right gary thanks very much for your time it was great talking to you mate thank you very much for having me now where's this wine <laughs> <laughs> Can't guarantee anyone, Gary. <laughs> we'll have order and said, I've got to go to work this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs>